Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot, and he rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messenger winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He sets the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took flight. The mountains rose and the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so they might not cover the earth again. You make springs gush forth in the valley. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats, the rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. You make darkness and it is night, and where all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. In their dens. Man goes about his work and to his labor until evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth. Let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Here ends the reading of God's holy and all-sufficient word. You may be seated. Thanks, Tim. 
Well, good morning. Uh, it's days like this that I think truly reveals how important, how reverent uh, you are to God. Uh, you chose to leave your house on a cold and bitter day. And don't let that pass over lightly. Uh, if you can imagine, over 180 years ago, when this church was planted right here in Merton, it was probably a little less comfortable uh, when the winter rolled through. And yet, um, but the very fact that, that men and women and children like you and I would, would choose to, to leave our homes and drive on frozen roads uh, to gather together, uh, it, it says a lot about you, but what it, what it actually does is it, it says so much more about the God that we worship, that, that he is worth embarking on that treacherous path to come here this morning. So um, that, that is because of our great God, that we, we believe he is worth being here. And, and men and women years ago, 180 years ago, believed the same thing, that this God was worth worshiping. And that's why this church exists. And, and, and though this church, um, we'll, we'll learn together, but though this church has incurred, encountered many changes over the years, uh, three name changes, two buildings, and probably many other changes, uh, the one consistent theme that ha- has remained true and and constant is, is this church's commitment to, to preserve and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is, that is never going to change. Um, the seats that you sit in change today <laughs> for some of you, but the gospel will never change. And as Grace Hill prepares to move forward, we, we want to continue to, to pause and, and really reflect on, on our past. You heard a little bit of that today. It's, it's not just the, the, the past of our, our local church, 180 years of rich history, and you heard uh, from Tony last week, you heard from Jason this morning, you'll hear from many other members share their experience of, of God's faithfulness to, to them and their family and this church. Uh, but we want to look back beyond Merton. We want to look back at how God has been, been kind to preserve the universal church for more than 2,000 years. And so what, what our hope is, is that we want, to, we want to carefully consider our past, Grace Hill Church, as we position ourselves for the future. And so, as I told you last week, and we'll keep reminding you that um, these first three months of this year, our desire is to, to slowly work through separate statements from the Apostles' Creed and, and it's something, again, if you, if you need a quick reference, it's on the back of your bulletins. But we want to work through several statements of the Apostles' Creed. And we also want to look to Scripture, because we believe that Scripture is what has served as the foundation for what we believe. And so, so we want to do both together as we look at how Scripture has shaped these beliefs. And uh, these beliefs, of course, continue to inform not only how we worship, but how Christian men and women throughout all of church history around the world today worship. And so for those of you who are unfamiliar, <clears throat> the word creed simply comes from the Latin credo, meaning I believe. Any church that gathers and worships has a belief. It's not a matter of whether or not a church has a creed or confession. The question is, are they the, 
right beliefs, the right creed, the right confession of faith. And one author, I think, said, said something kind of nice uh, um, and succinct. He said that all Christians believe more than is contained in the Apostles' Creed. We all believe far more than what's in that brief statement. But no Christian can believe less. The Christianity is, is not just belief in mere belief. It's not beliefism. It's belief in a propositional truth, a person, Jesus Christ. Now, confessing the creed together is, is countercultural. Uh, when we recite the creed, we're not just expressing our own views or our own priorities. When confessing the faith of the church, we allow our individual I to become part of the unified singular I of the body of Christ. It is not our own individual words, but our corporate words. Now, the Apostles' Creed is the, the oldest creed of the church. It, it, was, it was not written by the Apostles, though. It was not created by a council. It was not a part of any deliberate theological strategy. It was a grassroots confession. It was an indigenous form of the ancient church's response to the risen Christ, who commanded the church to make disciples and to teach everything that he taught. And so, when we think about this creed in particular, this creed's influence can be seen in the many subsequent creeds in church history. The Apostles' Creed is, is what, interestingly enough, preserves the rule of faith. Or as Jude put it, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so, therefore, the creed, though not infallible or inerrant, should, though, be understood as a brief summary of what we believe to be the essentials of, of biblical truth. And, and though this creed is brief, brief the, the content is very rich. And as you'll see through the next few weeks, and as you just consult the creed on your own behalf, you'll see that the content does many things. The creed highlights the Trinity, creation, Christ's incarnation, his humiliation and exaltation, the Holy Spirit, and the Church. There's a, there's a lot packed in to this creed. In fact, if no one knew anything about Christianity or the church, knowing nothing else about Christianity, a person could find out who God is, the story of what happened to Jesus, and what will happen next. It, it is a beautiful, uh, concise way of explaining what we believe as men and women who profess to be the church. Now, the need for the creeds, I'm sure today, you know, so many years removed, we could say, is it really even necessary to have confessions of faith, statements, creeds? But creeds, at their bare minimum, define truth and correct error. Over, over centuries, the church has, has had to defend itself against heretic teaching. And so the need for confessions of faith and, and, and creeds were given in order to define and defend true Christianity. And the Apostles' Creed was written in response to heretical teachings like any other creed or confession, and they are very relevant in helping us defend against false teachings. Uh, if you believe anything to be true, you are, by consequence, admitting that something must be false. But creeds also summarize the faith for us. No, no creed uh, is going to replace Scripture for us, but they will accurately summarize Scripture and equip us to understand what we believe as a church. And I think creeds also serve as a way to 
uh, to define what true Christian unity looks like. Creeds connect us to the faith of our fathers. When we speak as a church with one voice, uh, it is a beautiful thing declaring the irrefutable truths of Scripture together. As Christians, we believe what the apostles believe. As Christian men and women here in this congregation, we're saying that we believe the same thing. And, and hopefully, when we're long gone, the people we leave behind at this church will also believe the same truths. However, I am aware, not only in my, my own life, and I, I suspect in, in some of you as well, that there is that, that kind of remaining lurking temptation to, to be skeptical of something like an old creed, an old document written by people that we've never met, uh, that we may know, never know personally or know little about. I'm also aware of how uncomfortable it might be for us to, uh, to confess a creed written several hundred years ago from a region of the world that many of you have never been and probably never will go. And we often get, get stuck Honestly, just questioning, just simply questioning anything that is merely handed down to us. In fact, we, myself included, might assume that uh, the truest thing that I could ever say has got to be something that originated in my own mind. Like, if I'm actually going to mean it, it must be something that I come up with myself. Or worse, some of us would prefer that we have no creed or confession at all. Uh, We don't want to be bound to some historic antiquated, old document. And as we we shift our attention this morning to this next phrase in the creed, I anticipate uh, a struggle also to truly recognize the profound truths contained within these five brief, innocuous words. Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And as, as we'll continue to learn in the weeks that follow, the Apostles' Creed does not end with a statement about our almighty God making the world. But the, the creed continues to move quickly to God's ultimate presence with us, the incarnation, and then to God's ultimate activity, our redemption. Now, the creed effortlessly moves from, from God to creation, to recreation. And how we answer the question of origins, of of creation, reveals what you and I think of our own worth. It reveals what we think about our purpose. It reveals our sense of obligation to one another and to God. And my guess is that uh, for you and I, uh, we've all struggled at some point to acknowledge God's, God's rightful place as creator of the universe, the creator of our very existence. And where I believe the struggle is uh, for myself, and maybe for you as well, where it runs deepest is, is my unwillingness to recognize our great God's sovereign act of recreating. God's most beautiful work of regenerating, recreating hopelessly lost sinners like me and like you. In most of our endeavors in this life, most of, most of my efforts in this short life that I've lived, are, are made to, to make myself better, to make ourselves better. Self-improvement. We, we try to improve ourselves 
so that we can be approved by God. We live most of our days focused on, on how we can make ourselves better than we are. And the very fact that, that we are able to affirm God as the creator of heaven and earth means so much more than simply proclaiming an act of, of God uh, that he has done in the past. When, when we affirm God as creator, we are acknowledging his power over us as he renews our hearts, as we eagerly await his promise of a new, imperishable body to live forever in a new heaven and earth. Only the uncreated creator can recreate you. The self-existent one is the only one that can make you new, who can give you a new heart, remove your sin, the one who will give you new life, who will give you a brand new, imperishable, indestructible, resurrected body, the one who will create a new heaven and new earth for you to live in perfect peace and joy for all of eternity. Only the uncreated creator can recreate you. So three points this morning. We believe in the uncreated creator. We believe in the unique creator. And we believe in the re-creator. The uncreated creator, the unique creator, the re-creator. Only the uncreated creator can recreate you. So point one this morning. We believe in the uncreated Creator, Turn to Genesis 1, verse 1. But no one saw this coming. <laughs> Point one this morning. We believe in the uncreated creator. God is the only uncreated one. The only uncreated one. And scripture begins with God. Begins with God. And not only does scripture begin with God... Scripture begins with God as creator. The opening three words in the the Hebrew scriptures proclaim to us, Bereshit bara Elohim, that is, in the beginning, God. In your English Bibles, it should say, in the beginning, God created. Now, nihilism, which, which stands radically opposed to the creed or anything, any kind of Christian worldview, suggests that life has no meaning. Nihilism says that the life has no meaning, uh, that creation has no purpose. Everything is propelled by random, meaningless forces of nature. The universe remains entirely amoral. And, and, and Darwinism and, and nihilism go hand in hand. Without God as the ultimate starting point, you and I have no purpose in life. And the universe is a mere accident. There is no meaning. There is no purpose. But origin is a word that can only apply to things that are created. So when we, th- when we think of anything that has an origin, we, we are not thinking of God. Because God is self-existent. When, while all created things necessarily originate somewhere at time, in the human mind, my mind, being created, I have an understandable uneasiness about things that are uncreated. We tend to be uncomfortable with the thought that there is one who does not need to explain his being, who is responsible to no one, who is self-existent, self-dependent, and self-sufficient. But the truth is, from Scripture, one thing is absolutely certain. If anything exists now then something has always existed. 
Something or someone is eternal. It's either matter or a person. And so the issue is not whether something is eternal. Something is. The question is, what is eternal? And so Paul will later write in in one of his many letters, but he writes to the church in Rome that the very creation itself reveals God and leaves us without excuse to refuse or to even believe and worship God as our self-existent creator. But it's, but it's my sin that completely disables me from clearly seeing or perceive, perceiving what should be evident in what God has made, what God has created. Namely, that there is a God, that God is the creator, and, and your life does indeed have purpose. And so many truths are taught in those first few words of Scripture. In the beginning, God. The first is that God is, is eternal, existing prior to creation. The psalmist in Psalm 90, verse 2 said, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God was existing from everlasting to everlasting, even before the world was, for, was formed. God is infinite. He's not bound to the heavens and earth. God is, is self-existent. His, his aseity, or uh, from the Latin ase, which means from himself. He exists only from himself. There is nothing that caused God to exist. He is the uncreated one. God is, is omnipotence, simply, simply speaking creation into existence. Our uncreated, self-existent, eternal Father is worthy to receive all glory and honor and power, which is why uh, these, these many truths about God, the uncreated one, can be sung as we lift our voices in praise and honor, and we sing lyrics like this, God, the uncreated one, the author of salvation, who wrote the laws of time and space and fashioned worlds to his design, the one whom angels hosts revere, hung the stars like chandeliers, numbered every grain of sand, knows the heart of every man, he is king forever." He is the uncreated creator. This is, this is the God we believe in, the creator who is uncreated. So while we believe in, in the uncreated creator, we believe in the, the unique creator. The uncreated creator, the unique creator, only the uncreated creator can recreate you. Point two this morning, we believe in the unique creator. No one creates like God. The scriptures proclaim to all who, who read that in the beginning God created. And when you, when you look at scripture, it is so beautiful and rich and deep. And the Hebrew word for, for create, when you're, when you're looking at the opening words of your Bible, and it says, in the beginning God created. Well, the Hebrew verb for create, bara, is used in scripture exclusively for the activity of God. Humans myself included, and you, we, we make things, we form things, we build things. Only God creates. The verb used to tell us that in the beginning God created 
summarizes the work of God in producing what human beings never produce or even ever think to produce. See, a, a craftsman is going to, to shape something out of existing material, something that is already made. And, and he's limited by his materials. But no material existed at all until God said, let there be. And theologians speak of this type of, of creation as uh, creation ex nihilo, or, or what we would say is just creation out of nothing. Creation from absolutely nothing. And there's, uh, there's a story of these scientists who, with, with all the advancements we've seen in our world and, and throughout history, uh, science has, has come very far. And, and there are scientists who, who got together and said, you know, we, we have done so much. We are we're able to create molecules, and we can now clone animals. We are getting so close, we can even clone humans. And the scientists get together, and it's essentially, effectively, this is the, this, they've done this years ago, but what they said is, we do not need God any longer. We have the power to create. And so they, they appoint one of the scientists to go tell God that he can go on his way. He's not needed anymore. And so the scientist goes and tells God, we now can, can make anything with our scientific experiments and capacity. And God says, okay, well, how about, before I go, why don't we just have a human-making competition? And the scientist says, absolutely. We know how to do this. And the scientist goes, grabs some dirt from the ground, and God says, wait, 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 wait. Make your own dirt. See, truly, as advanced and as far as science has gone, no human being can create like God from absolutely nothing. We make, we form, we build. Only God creates. And the most common use of the verb bara that we see in Genesis and other places in Scripture applies to God making the universe and everything in it. The emphasis is in the fact that what is produced is, is new, it is fresh, and it is good. Always what God creates is new and fresh and good. However, this is not the only thing that makes God's act of creating unique. God's God's unique power in creation is displayed in his ability to create with words. Every creative act of God began with the phrase, God said. But scripture not only teaches us that God is the author of all creation, it also shows us God's agent in creation. His word, his speech was was not merely just a collection of of words and, and verbs and nouns, but rather a person who became flesh and dwelt among us. And so you'll see in places like John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You'll see places like in Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. He he wrote that he, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, 
of all creation, for, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. God is, God is both the creator and sustainer of all that is, all that ever was, and all that will ever be. God created animals, plants, fungi, protozoa. He created elephants and frogs, deciduous and coniferous forests, mushrooms, bacteria, and even the smallest amoeba. And, and we should look back and just say, with, with such biodiversity, this all attests to God's delight in the complexity of the universe, and this should bring him great glory. But knowing God is creator of all things implies a rather unavoidable truth for you and I. And that is that we are creatures. As long as we are willing to affirm that God is the creator of all things, then we are consequently acknowledging that we are limited, created beings. The scriptures stress that humankind is exclusively the product of God's creative act, and humans are themselves creatures, but, but creatures unlike any other. God created you in his image. We are the imago Dei, the image of God. And while God made us in his image, while he made me, in his image, and you in his image. I know I have the unfortunate habit of thinking of God as being made in my image and who I would like God to be like. But God's claim upon us is, is very much the first fact of life that we must face, and we need a healthy sense of our creaturehood, that we are indeed creatures. Uh, when, we, when we confess our belief in God as the creator of heaven and earth, we are simultaneously confessing that we are mere creatures of this great God, and that, that should humble us. We, we should be humbled knowing that the creator of everything chose to make us, and we are limited creatures. And as, as creatures, we are limited. As creatures, our, our affirmation ought to be that that he is the God, the uncreated one. And we are desperately in need for him to create again. We need God to create clean hearts if we are going to stand before him. Because God alone is unique in his ability to create, to make new. So no one creates like God. He creates from nothing by the power of his mere words. And so collectively as a church, we can say we believe in the uncreated creator. We, we believe in the unique creator. God is unique, alone, the one who creates from nothing. And we believe in the re-creator. Only the uncreated creator can recreate you. So point three this morning, as we focus on, on this brief statement of the creed, that God is the creator of heaven and earth, Point three is that we believe in the re-creator. Because if we're, if we're honest, and if we believe the scriptures, 
then we have to say that God's, God's best work of creation is yet to come. As amazing as it is that God created any of this to begin with, his best work still is yet to come. One theologian claimed that the entire universe is just one vast theater set to display God's glory. What it means is God created everything just as the scene, the stage, for him to work out his best work, the work of redemption. Everything that you see, everything that we get to experience is God's great theater, his stage for redemption. The entire created order exists for one great purpose, to display the glory of God through the redemption of sinners through Jesus Christ's Son. Simply, simply stated, creation leads to new creation. So look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul, Paul is drawing our attention in many places, uh, two of which we'll look at. But what Paul is attempting to do as he writes this letter to the church at Corinth is, is, is to reveal God's power in creation. The fact that God is going to do something in you and I that only God can do. Only God has the power to do. And so from, from just a couple spots here that we'll focus our attention on, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Paul begins by saying, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And verse 18 begins and kind of gives us a, a beautiful explanation of how this could be. All this is from God through Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. All of God's creation simply sets the stage for the great recreative act of redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. And as Paul tells the church at Corinth, the whole purpose of, of being made new, of, of, of being made one in Christ, of this, this new creation, the old passing away, the old creation, the old nature that you and I were made with is passing away. The new has come because of Jesus so being made right with God, having our relationship restored, your sins forever forgiven, that is the power of a God who is a creator. Not just the creator of heaven and earth. We are not able to reconcile ourselves to God, and it's, it's only God, through his creative power, that can reconcile you to himself, through his son. You and I are only saved by a new creative work of God's immeasurable grace. And this grace, this immeasurable grace that God gives to you and I through his act of, of recreation, it came at a price. It was his son who, instead of you being punished, instead of 
me being punished for my sin. God punished his own son with death in order to redeem you. God made Jesus to be sin. This is what Paul will go on to tell the the Corinthians. God made Jesus to be sin. That is, he punished him, the one who did not deserve it, because he did not commit any sin, but instead, he punished his son in our place. One of the most beautiful acts of God's creative power came through the death of his son. We are new creatures in Jesus because Jesus died and had victory over the cross. And God's creation from the beginning of time served as a shadow of what would ultimately become that extraordinary beauty displayed in redemption in the new creation. Turn back to Genesis chapter 1. It's interesting sometimes when you look at scripture and you see that there, there is beauty in not only what we're told happens in that moment, but then how it, it serves as a shadow of, of, of God's greater work to come. In Genesis chapter 1, we obviously read of God creating. It shouldn't surprise most of us. God is the creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and, and darkness See, darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. See, as, as Genesis describes for us, God is, is the creator. No one creates like God creates. But the scene is set for us on display Because what was there was darkness. There was darkness. But when God spoke, there was light. Go back to 2 Corinthians with me. 2 Corinthians, Paul was very helpful and, and what, he, what he's doing for the church at Corinth is the same thing uh, that we are able to partake of uh, this morning because we have, uh, by God's grace, his letter preserved. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in, in verse 4, this is what, what Paul writes. He says, in, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. If you're an unbeliever, you are blind. You cannot see. You are living in darkness. Verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God who said, let light shine out of darkness. God, make no mistake about it, God is the creator of heaven and earth. When he spoke, light came into existence. When God speaks into your life, 
living in darkness, stony hearts, in rebellion to him. He speaks, and light shines, the beauty of Christ. The very act of redemption. My freedom from sin, your freedom from sin, your gracious gracious adoption and, and justification, the act of God is compared to his sovereign act of creating the heavens and the earth. As, as powerfully as God created the heavens and the earth by just speaking them into existence, God has spoken through his Son, by the power of his Holy Spirit, to change your heart. So this is the power of God to change lives, to bring, to bring new life to dead men and women. I was dead. I was living in darkness. But by God's sovereign beautiful act of creation made my heart new. Now, some people believe that the, the climax of creation occurs on the, the seventh day, seventh day, uh, the day given over to rest and holiness. And God, as Genesis tells us, God rested on the Sabbath day. and He set that day apart as a rest, um, but much more than that, much more than a break from work. The Sabbath points to the end of, of your restlessness. See, where, where there is anxiety, there is no rest. Where, where there is sin, there is anxiety. Where, where the vertical relationship between you and God is broken, there can be no Sabbath. Where there is no holiness, chaos intrudes. Anxiety becomes the order of the day. Sin makes us underachievers who are doomed apart from Christ. And so our great hope is is not to be found in any of our own efforts to earn the rest and redemption that we're looking for. Try as we may, you and I are unable to create new hearts and new bodies. We need an almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, a God who declares, I am making all things new. Only the uncreated creator can recreate you and I. Let's pray. God, our Father, you are the Almighty One, the creator of heaven and earth. You are the one who makes all things new. You are the one who rescues us from our failed efforts and endeavors to save ourselves, to to change our lives, Lord, to redeem our own lives, to win your approval. Lord, we desperately want that, and we strive and we work to please you. Oh, Father, we thank you for your Son, that he became all that we never could be. He, he lived the perfect life we could never live. Thank you for creating all of us. Thank you for the grace of, of, of recreation, for, for renewal in our lives. Thank you for the freedom we have from our sin, Lord. Thank you, Father, that as we are gathered here this morning, Lord, may we never cease to praise you for your great work through your Son to make us new creations, to make us new men and women with new hearts. And so, Father, we, we want to, to sing and praise you this morning and sing of our belief in God the Father Almighty. Lord, you alone are the creator of heaven and earth. Amen.